0: Hi, my name is Shannon Lee, Executive Director of Relay, and you're listening to The Slapcast. Hello, welcome once again to The Slapcast, this is Shannon Lee, your host, and this episode is episode 13, lucky number 13, actually. Um, I don't actually believe in luck, but you know, people always say lucky number 13, so I thought I'd do it too. I'd really love it if you would subscribe and share this Slapcast. You can find it where podcasts are found. We publish it on all of the different podcasting platforms. Um, is, isn't is podcast an Apple name though? No. Oh, okay. Apple Podcast is what they call it. Oh, okay. See, you learn something new every day. Um, And if you'd like to reach out to me directly, you can email me at slapcast at relayleadership.org. Always open to your input and uh, suggestions for topics and speakers. Now, we are headlong into summer, and I have to say, (sighs) I love summer. I do not care one bit how hot it gets. And the older I get, my love for summer... And my hate for winter just increases. And I don't know if this is age or what, but I found this article that just spoke to me. It's 17 emotions, only people who hate winter experience. And to celebrate winter or to celebrate summer, I'd like to share these 17 emotions with you. Number one, the dreaded first day when you have to wear a winter coat. All you feel is utter hatred that you live in a place with, quote unquote, seasons. Seasons are overrated. Can I get an amen? Number two, the daunting feeling that you have when you get up in the morning and you know it's bitterly cold outside, so you stay in bed way past the amount of time you should, hugging your covers tightly for dear life. Three, the desire to complain relentlessly for the entire duration of the season. I mean, sure, you can't change the weather, but continuous vocal remarks about how much you don't like being cold, it helps. Number four, the internal cringes you feel when you're around people who love winter and insist on trying to convince you to love winter too. We get it. You love hot cocoa and snow angels. Everybody and their mother does. You know what's better than that though? Beaches and Moscow mules. (laughs) I'm going to say margaritas actually. Five, when it's so bitterly cold that you can't feel your face and you start getting a borderline panic attack because you're sure if you don't get inside soon, you'll get frostbite or your limbs will fall off. Six, the stress that comes with layering. How much is too much? Will everyone still be able to see my impeccable outfit that I managed to put together despite this frozen tundra? Isn't winter fashion supposed to be awesome? Seven, the undesirable feeling you get when you realize that somehow, even when your whole body feels like an icicle in human form, you are somehow legitimately profusely sweating, probably due to all the layers. Eight, when when you have a really necessary itch that needs to be scratched, but you have to take off countless clothes in order to reach it. So you start agonizing about how you're going to get to that spot. Nine, feeling like you're coming down with a disease that makes you want to curl up, snuggle and sip tea all day. Forget about work, friends, family. The only thing you care about is staying right where you are warmly. Ten, whether you believe seasonal affect disorder is a real thing or not, you will find yourself virtually on the verge of tears for no good reason at all periodically. And 11, the sadness you feel every day at 4.30 p.m. or earlier when the sun, if it even appeared that day, goes down and you want to go straight to bed. And you question why you live in a place where where it's pitch black outside by the time it's happy hour. 12, the tear-filled joy that occurs when you wake up and the sun is shining and it actually feels a little warmer than usual and you start thinking, maybe winter won't be so bad. 13, the tear-filled joy that occurs when the sun seems to be shining and you think it's going to be one of those warm days in winter, only to be greeted by disappointment when you realize it was actually one of those light, bright, and deathly cold winter days. And if you're not from around here, this podcast is coming to you from Columbus, Ohio, so I can definitely identify with that one. Fourteen, when you see someone eat it on the ice and now you've watched it, you've lived in permanent fear of also falling down in front of a group of strangers, and the fear is so real you legitimately start doing the penguin walk. Fifteen, the desire to cancel just about every meeting, date, appointment that requires you going outside, especially when it means going outside multiple times during the day. 16. Oh, I stapled over top of it, hold on. 16, the utter happiness you feel when you thought you had somewhere to be, but someone cancels on you and now you don't have to race winter's torture for a while. And 17, the never ending feeling that who you are as a person goes into some sort of hibernation when the cold weather arrives, an emotional hibernation and you quote unquote won't return until spring. Now, I know what you might be wondering is what does that have to do with the slap cast? Uh it has nothing to do with it. So there you go. (laughs) Now moving on from that to something else um a little more related, uh a shameless plug. My birthday is in is this month. It's in August. And the only gift I want from all of you listeners is to attend Care to Lead on August 21st. So since I'm the boss of this podcast, I'm going to plug our training. Care to Lead is a full day workshop that covers my model for servant leadership. It's a simple in parentheses, but not easy, four-step model that addresses both the mindset and the actions of a servant leader. If you are someone who is committed to servant leadership, or you want to learn more about it and figure out how you can start to embody this way of showing up at work and in your life, you need to be at this workshop. Uh, It's only 250 bucks and it includes instruction, materials. We even feed you at lunchtime. So it's a great value. And I recommend that you bring your team. It's a really great way to evaluate one of our core programs and see if you'd like a larger workshop done in-house for your uh, larger team, which we also do. So you can learn more and sign up at relayleadership.com slash care to lead. Pretty simple. Feel free to also reach out to me if you have any questions. So... The last time I spoke to the audience, I talked about identifying or really fostering your unique value. Today I want to talk about that in a slightly different way because I realized my approach before might have been more geared towards those trying to create something on their own. In other words, entrepreneurs or people who own their own businesses run their own nonprofits. But today I'm going to talk about this in a workplace setting because I believe that's where most of you are. So let's get to it. All right, all right. Let's dive in, shall we? A few weeks ago, I was talking about, you know, what if you don't feel like you're a guru, but you want to put something special out there? I describe this simply as identifying your unique value. I feel like there's less pressure with this term versus guru. And I think trying to be a guru is is fine. It's great. Some people are, but as a result, we kind of try too hard and we get our expectations too high. We think, you know, we're going to put a program out there and, you know, just, droves of people are going to come by it and sign up. And that just doesn't happen. It just takes longer than that. And so what ends up happening when we try too hard, as I talked about before, is we tend towards this um, unintentional really of putting something out there that's sort of disingenuous. So I brought up my ideas on how to bring your unique value. And my first one was, and I'm just going to briefly review them, was first to relax and, and not try so hard to really um, take time to just kind of enjoy the journey, get in touch with what really moves you, what excites you, um, what are you good at? Uh, We talked to Mark Henson at one point, and he was talking about some ideas of identifying your, what he calls ordinary superpowers. And so listen to that. But Relax into it and do a little bit of self discovery. I also talked about taking time to learn. There was a suggestion to hire a coach, uh, take a class, read a book, dive into your area that you think you might have a specialty in, and learn as much as you can and see if it still resonates with you. You know, sometimes, uh, as I shared, you know, I started learning things and tried to put some stuff out there and realize, okay, maybe that's not my thing. I'm not as interested in that as I thought, I was inspired by someone else. And so I wanted to be like them, but that wasn't necessarily what I was supposed to be. And so sometimes taking time to learn is helpful in figuring that out. And then of course, the whole experimentation piece, you're gonna have to eventually put something out there, you're gonna fail, you're gonna do it wrong, and then you're gonna try again. And so you've gotta go through a process of trial and error to really figure out what it is that you're trying to put out in the world that's unique. I would like to now address something more specific for those of you who may not describe yourself as innovators or entrepreneurs, but rather you're trying to put your unique value to work in the workplace. And the reason we want to do this is it's going to bring us more fulfillment and it's also going to serve people around us more effectively. The more we're operating in our unique value, the more we're able to help others and the more fulfilled we become at work, even if our job isn't our dream job. If we figure out a way to deploy our most unique value in that workplace, we can experience more fulfillment. And part of our goal for people going through our training is we, what we talk about is we want to move people from less frustration to more fulfillment, knowing that no one job can totally fulfill any one person. You're not meant to get all your fulfillment there anyway, but because we spend so much time at work, it's worth our effort to figure out how can we pull a little bit more fulfillment out of it. Workplace pressures are vast, let's be honest. We have competing directives, we have high expectations, tight deadlines, and so much more. In high stress environments, it may seem difficult to find you know, the time or bandwidth to really uncover our unique value. And I think I found some practical ways we can do this as leaders, and they're of course in alignment with servant leadership. So how do we do this? We really need to focus not only on finding our own unique value, but also on releasing others to theirs. That's the key. This is the creative win-win. So this is not just about what is my unique value, but what are the unique values represented on my team? And how do we complement one another? And how can I really expand mine, deploy mine, and how can I deploy yours as well? And you can do that even if you're not a leader of people. You can uh, be a mentor or an encourager of others to really give uh, their most unique value. Um, But if you are a leader of people, which I know a lot of the listeners are, your role is not just to operate in your unique value, but to help others do the same thing. One of the hardest things that new leaders struggle with, however, that keeps them from doing this is good old fashioned delegation. And there are lots of reasons for this. When we talk about delegation with the groups we work with, we get a lot of pushback, and I'm going to call out just a few of them. Um, You've heard the saying, well, if you want it done right, you got to do it yourself. You know, that's one of those societal memes that we just believe is true, and it's just not necessarily true. More often than not, if you're doing something that someone else can learn to do or is able to do, chances are they can do it better than you. And you want that because it lightens your load and frees you up to do what? Bring more of your unique value. How do I know that thing is not your unique value? because someone else is also able to do it. (laughs) So you want to get rid of as many things as you can that fall into that category. Um, People say, I can do it faster, I can do it better, or our fears that the people we delegate to are going to mess up, or maybe the other side that that they're going to do a good job, and they're, they're going to get the credit, and they're going to take our job, and on and on. But here's the problem. You cannot operate in your unique value and fail to delegate. These two things cannot coexist you have to delegate if you're going to fully deploy your unique value. You may even sitting here today know what your unique value is, but if you're not operating in enough of it, therefore, and you know because you're not getting enough fulfillment at work, it's probably because you haven't delegated enough. Now, I don't have time to go into the nitty gritty of delegation today, but let me say this. The servant leader's motivation for delegation is both a motivation to deliver their unique value and to develop others. The motivation is not simply to just get stuff off your own plate and to keep people busy. So with that in mind, let's explore this. So first, you've got to start with the mindset that other people deserve the opportunity to learn and that you at one point didn't know that stuff. All of us entered into our current role with a knowledge gap. Yes? We had a learning curve. Somewhere, someone gave us the opportunity to learn and to grow. But what we didn't know in that time was the potential pain it was causing them to watch us struggle through and make mistakes. So we forget that. We're not aware of that now that we've become a leader. And we forget we have to give that same gift to others. Can you do some some things better and faster right now than others on your team? Probably. That's probably why you're in leadership. But there was a time that you couldn't, and it's important to remember that. There's a concept. I've talked about it before. It's called the curse of knowing. It's this idea that once you know something, you forget what it was like to not know it. So you have to force yourself to remember what it was like to have to learn the thing that you're so good at now. And remember that there are other people that work for you that deserve the opportunity to learn it too. And when you take the time to allow others to learn, you can do that in order to bring their unique value to your team. It strengthens the entire team. If you are or want to be a servant leader, the first thing to recognize in bringing your unique value is that developing others will give you the space you need to actually do that. There's no shortcut here. You don't get to deliver your unique value and hold on to all of your little tasks. Now, second, and this is this is probably the hardest one. You have to let go of control. Control is an illusion anyway. We think we have control. We try to execute control by manipulation, um, by doing things ourselves, by those false beliefs that we can do it better, faster than others. But really what it's about is just a fear of failure. Listen, the people who work for you, who are trying out new things, they're going to fail. Just accept it. I would even go a step further and set your bar really low that they're going to fail 50% of the time and succeed 50% of the time. They will mess up. They will do a poor job sometimes. This is not an excuse to not delegate. Instead of thinking of failure as a negative thing and a setback, um, think of it more as an opportunity to develop others. Almost anticipate it. Not anticipate it as a negative Nancy where, oh, I knew they were going to screw that up. I don't mean it like that. But don't be surprised by it. Don't get emotional over it. Go, well, we gave you this thing to try. You did so-so on it. Let's regroup and, and let's learn something from this. Both getting worried and stressed out over it, that's going to create one response. That's going to create one result, probably instill a little bit of fear in those that you lead, a fear to innovate, a fear to try again. Or Do you want to instill confidence in them by helping them regroup and learn from their mistakes and having them get up and try again, not you picking up the pieces and doing it for them, but rather helping them remove barriers and then giving them another opportunity. If this is your approach, you will eventually free up enough space for your unique value. So that's the second piece. Again, review. First is your mindset that other people need the opportunity to grow. You've got to give it to them. Second, you've got to let go. And third, from a practical standpoint, you might just be doing too much. Maybe you can't tap into your unique value because you're too busy doing too many other things. And while you know the answer is delegation, you have a hard time deciphering, what do I need to delegate? So hopefully this helps. Many of us can get into the trap of doing things that aren't necessary or even asked of us. I once worked with an administrative assistant who, I'm not even kidding, created 14 different versions of the same data in a workbook, just in case we needed to look at it all of those different ways. Do you know how many versions I asked for? Two. Now, while I appreciate the initiative and definitely applauded her on doing that extra work, she could have been using her time doing something else more valuable. The other 12 weren't even necessary, and they kept her from doing more important tasks. So what proverbial spreadsheets are you creating that no one needs, right? A lot of times we do these things because they give us comfort because maybe we're stressed out about a bigger task that we really should be tackling, Maybe there's fear over that. And so we're doing these other things that are easy, but aren't necessary. What processes are you holding on to that truly have no value? You've got to get ruthless and you've got to delete them. So delete is the first step. Just get ruthless. And I mean about appointments too. How many appointments do we set up on a weekly, monthly, quarterly basis that don't need to happen? You know, How many useless meetings? Are we having meetings to update people where we could send them an email update? Come on, people... You've got to raise expectations that people can get updates via email and then hold them accountable to it. I don't need to hold one more meeting while I update you on something I could have sent you in a document. The next strategy after delete is to delay. This goes hand in hand somewhat with prioritization. If I take a look at your task list and the calendar appointments that you have for the next 30 days, are they the most important things that you can be doing right now? Notice I didn't say urgent. When you focus on the most important things first, you will actually have more space for the unexpected, urgent items that come up. But here's what most of us do. We fill our task list and our calendar with things that we act like they're urgent, but they're not, and so we never have room for the really important things. So what we need to do is prioritize the most important things. I mean, block out time on our calendars, for these things so that there's space elsewhere for the urgent. That way one doesn't have to suffer for the other. Are you conducting appointments that move your most important initiatives forward? Are they your most important appointments? Are they the, the appointments that are taking place in the most, you know, the closest uh, timeline? How many useless lunches are you scheduling? What tasks seem urgent to you that can really be delayed a month or so? I remember when I was talking about this with um, a fellow trainer and, and I was expressing frustration over this idea of delegation. And, and she said, let me take a look. Just just show me your your calendar. Show me your task list. And she began to point out to me, she had some knowledge about some initiatives that were taking place over the next year in our organization. She was like, why are you working on that? That's something for like, quarter one next year. I'm like, oh, I'm just really excited about that blah, 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 blah. But it's really important to me. You got to get really critical of what you think is important and what actually matches the initiatives that you're trying to move forward. And it doesn't mean that you get rid of these, but it means you delay them and you reprioritize them to something further down the line so that you can make more room for what's actually important right now. Once you've deleted what you can, and delayed a few other things, now look at what's left. Look at the tasks, the projects, the appointments. Get really critical about them. Who on your team can learn to do those things, can do them now, can take those appointments for you, and they can be taught and they can do them well, right? Or they're able to do them now. Now, offshoot all of those to those people. Hold them accountable to it. And remember, even if they can't do it right now, if they have the ability, but it's just a learning curve, invest the time. I know it takes longer. Invest the time to teach them. As long as they are capable, more than likely they are, because I'm going to assume that you hired capable people. Until you can do that, you're not going to be operating in your unique value. Now, if there are things you can give away to others to learn and grow and you don't, you are in essence putting the task before person. Why? What you're saying is me getting this task done the way I want and being in control is more important than your development. And that is not servant leadership. You've got to take the time to be about their, that, about their development. You've got to take time to align yourself with servant leadership. Now, once you do all of this, delete, delay, and delegate, What should be left is your unique value, the things that truly only you should and can do. Here's a very personal example, and and I'll end with this. I've been thinking a lot lately at Relay. I'm the only staff person, I'm getting ready to hire someone. And so I'm doing all the things. Right. If there's an event, I'm finding the venue. I'm setting the budget. I'm tracking the tickets. I'm following up with people. I'm asking for sponsorships. If I'm running a training, I'm setting up coffee. I'm getting the I'm getting the trainer scheduled. I'm inviting people, and on and on. And and let's forget about you know. There's finances to be dealt with. There's you know the bank account there, and just everything that goes with running a business. And what I realized in my overwhelm was that I wasn't setting setting aside time for the most important tasks and really thinking critically about if this is my unique value and I defined what that was then my next hire that because I was trying to figure out in this next hire what direction do I need to go and I won't go into detail on the the type of role but the bottom line is I was trying to figure out do I go this direction or that direction I couldn't decide which was most important then I realized if I hired this type of person over here That I will be able to get rid of 90% of the stuff that is not uniquely me, the stuff that drags down my energy and keeps me from my most unique value, which is being the face of the organization, talking to donors, talking to business leaders, going out and selling our product line, talking about our mission with as many people as we can, doing more podcasts, all the things that I need to be doing leading this organization and spreading this idea of servant leadership as much as we can in our city and beyond. That's my unique value. That's the unique value I bring to the organization. So now my job becomes finding as many people as I can to do all the other stuff, right? So that made the decision so much easier for me at that point, now, I'd love to hear your thoughts and even your stories on how you're going to start working through to find your unique value. What are you deleting? What are you delaying? What are you delegating to help others develop into their unique value? You can hit me up once again at slapcast at org. I would love to hear you. Until next time.